Time Conversation on WNHHFM 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, and I am here today uh, with our guest, John Martin. Uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show, for uh, being a great community member. Um, yeah, like, I... We have been talking about this for probably better part of two months. <laughs> yeah. So I am excited. Despite the rainy day, I'm like, yeah, this is it's all a good day for me. Thanks for having me. Um, so I I have known, I feel like I knew you when you first started the bike co-op. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I want to be like, I'm one of the early people. You are, definitely are, <laughs> definitely are. Yeah. Um, and so... I remember it kind of just starting and all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the stuff um, and now it being a, uh, like, being a pretty serious, uh, yeah. you know, setup. Yeah. Um, but before getting on to that, mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> uh, what is your hot take, right? Before people know you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Let's give them something to judge you against mm-hmm. and then uh, be charmed back. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, hot take, ban cars. I, that, yes. <laughs> I, so I, one of my partner's friends was just like, cars are terrorist infrastructure. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, cars, cars are. Right. I like, I don't know, like, cool. There's some cases where you need an individual car, but I, yeah. Can you say more? <laughs> yeah. Well, I started strong cause you know, you asked me to start strong. <laughs> we'll walk it back. Yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm here to walk it back a little bit. I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm reasonable. Are you walking it back because you're against cars or I'm you... not driving it back. You didn't hear me say that. I'm walking it back, you know? Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, um, that's like the mission statement but um <laughs> that's like the light at the end of the tunnel right but the the goal is to kind of inch our way in that direction um whether that's like narrowing streets or building more infrastructure or encouraging folks to start you know go to the cvs on your bike or walk over instead of driving over you know um maybe go to the grocery store kind of work into reducing um the, the amount of times that we drive and yeah, really hard, especially hard to do in this country, maybe harder than many other places. Cause we're such a, our infrastructure has been built for cars for most of our modern times. And, um, we have a strong middle class that has a lot of car ownership and, uh, we're a big country it's physically. It's just like a, a lot of space. Hard to like ride your bike to New York city. You know, it's, um, and so it's like building all the other ways to do stuff so that we can just reduce our need for cars, you know, no. uh, which, you know, we're doing, I know you're like a champion at this, literally, um, <laughs> you are like one of our big fighters. You've shown up for all of the years for this kind of stuff. Um, um, but yeah, you know, it just like all the stuff is there. I, I, I do appreciate that. Although for up until getting the one wheel, I, um, Every other time I felt I was being made fun of when I came in because it's like, Justin, what did you bring this time? Like, how? 
how well loved to is the bike this? club. Yeah, that's true. No, you uh, you would. Well, you did something that a lot of other people didn't, which is you were your schedule is so packed that you'd like bike like cross town or like into New Haven, and you'd hitch a ride from someone, and you'd toss your bike in like a back of a small little like Honda Civic or something. Like, and you have a tall bike, of course. Everyone should know that. Um, so the seat post would come off, front wheel would come off, rear wheel would come off, stuffed in the back of a car so you could make it to like a protest happening, you know, over in the hill. And then you bike from the hill, maybe like back up to Hamden to a council meeting or something like that. And so your bike suffered a lot of abuse, not in service of you doing amazing work. But as a result, you know seat would get stolen you know gears would get bent in the car i forgot you know, what i broke happened you know i broke something and everyone was kind of like how did you break that yeah no you've <laughs> you you're definitely uh you were a repeat customer <laughs> up until the one wheel and now you're just a repeat visitor and a friend <laughs> who comes in and says hi but before you were yeah you were a you were a lucrative part of our business model you're like oh here again for a new wheel thank you <laughs> Um, Who's keeping us afloat? Not, listen, we gotta support small business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess one thing that I have always wondered, um, is like, when did you start biking? When did like, how did mm. you learn how to bike? When did you start biking? When did this become something that was part of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on a farm. Um, a little bit, uh, yeah. Grew on a farm a little bit away from in Westbrook, Connecticut. So like uh, halfway or halfway to Rhode Island, I don't know, down the shoreline. Um, and so I had like a little mountain bike that I'd take on trails and, you know, yeah. go over little jumps in my gravel driveway and scratch my knee up and, you know, all this stuff. Um, but like a, I think a normal relationship to like a bike as a kid, you know, it's like mostly a, a fun thing that you could do. Uh, and then I went to school in Boston And when I was in Boston, I, um, found, I got a bike maybe like my sophomore year or something of, of college. And when I got my bike, I just started riding it everywhere. And I was like, Oh, "Oh, this is so much better than anything else. And so I I just fell in love with commuting. I remember riding at home from the bike shop. I was so terrified. (laughs) I was so scared. (laughs) And then the second time I rode it, I was so really scared. I had to like force myself to go ride wherever I was going, grocery store or whatever. And by the third time, I was like, okay, this is kind of okay. I don't know. And the fourth time, I was like, okay, I think I got this. And at some point, I just fell in love. And that's the only, I became the kid who just always rode his bike everywhere. Um, well, you know, along with all other people. But just fell in love with, like, how having a bike, like, um, made me and, like, helped me fall in love with the city and, like, learn the city and be so much more mobile and go to places that I wouldn't normally go or explore things I wouldn't normally get to or feel comfortable to try stuff out. And, you know, if you're going across town to go to a show or something and everyone's taking the subway, we like get in a car, like train car or whatever. And then you kind of emerge like in a different part of town and it's magical, you know, which is awesome. I love obviously that as practice, but for me just being, yeah, I'll meet you there. And then riding, you know, you get to, you see so much and you're just like a part of so much. So I really became in love with the, the act of bike commuting as like a way of all the other thing, like the little stuff, the ripple effects of having a bike as transportation, um, the stuff that you got out of it. No, I, I physical health, mental health, you know, um, 
like agency and empowerment and like learning a city and like getting building a relationship with a city that is stronger than if you know you had your little bubble that you never left drive before you left for school no i i never got a license until i was 23 or 24 i moved home to kind of take care of my dad for a little while um and i was home for two summers and like you know at some point i was like okay I need a, I need to be able to drive to get off the farm. <laughs> It'd be like <laughs> seven days, and I'm like I haven't left the farm because it was like middle of nowhere, right? And so like um, I was feeling in it biking. I would bike, but it wasn't like a, yeah, it wasn't. I actually wasn't much of a recreational cyclist at that point. I didn't like ride for fun. I was still a commuter solidly at that point, um, but living at home um, after I graduated. So um, got my license finally. My brother, my younger brother, taught me how to drive, and you know. <laughs> got my license um joined the ranks and uh yeah but only um this past year was the first time i ever bought a car oh, and i bought a van because wow. i'm gonna be taking a sabbatical <laughs> and driving uh driving cross country for like six months uh-huh. starting in a, in a little bit well, i i guess one question i want to ask you um as someone who is around bikes all the time, I always run into friends who are older, mm-hmm. right? Who mm-hmm. my age, older, and mm-hmm. they're like, I don't know how to ride a bike, mm-hmm. right? And so I think there's a terror. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, oh, I got pushed down the hill or like, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah, like, you learn <laughs> at an age when you're fearless and like fixable. <laughs> right? So like what would be the golden tips? Right, mm-hmm. that you would give to those who um, have a little bit more life experience, but a little less. Uh, yeah, uh, they have a little bit too new tire tread. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, nice. I like that. Yeah, I mean, you can always come by the shop, um, and you know, we aren't like professional instructors of like how to ride a bike, but to. Um, Two things that we would recommend, and the reason I say come by the shop is because we just have a lot of bikes, so you can, like, find something, and we can quickly do this for you, is one, take the pedals off, and two, find something smaller than what you actually want to ride, whether that's lowering the seat all the way on a bike that you have or whatever. And you want to Fred Flintstone that thing. Like, that's how I always recommend folks, like, getting started. It's, like, take the pedals off so they're not in your way, and you're just going to be kick biking, you know, and focusing on balance and your steering um, with handlebars and sitting, you know, and focusing on balance. And once you can kind of kick and coast for, you know, a few feet, five feet, you know, um, then we can start to, and you feel comfortable doing that. could take an hour, could take five hours. Then we put the pedals back on while it's still too small for you. And then we start you kind of getting used to pedaling. And after that, you're, you're, you're riding. Um, but yeah, starting with a bike that's too small for you and taking the pedals off. Not like a kid's bike, but something yeah. that, you know, you can comfortably have your feet flat on the ground. Because um, normally for a bike to fit well, you know, you want to kind of be on your tippy toes when sitting on the seat. So, yeah. And the only, like, I just say come by the co-op because we can just take pedals off of a bike that's too small for you, lower the seat, and just, like, set you out on the sidewalk. Like, get your helmet on and um, just, like, have you practice a little bit there. And if you like the practice, you know, maybe you borrow the bike, pay us a couple bucks for down payment or whatever, like a deposit or whatever. Um, and then like take it for a few weeks, go to the canal trail, no cars. It's right through our city, through Hamden, all the way up. Um, 
and it's like wide and safe and just like find a stretch and just practice, you know, uh, just keep practicing like kick biking and yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm glad I asked that question because that might've just taken people to prospect Hill. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't recommend that. And then of course, like there's a whole universe of like how to ride a bike in a city when you can physically ride a bike. Like, okay, yeah. Like, what what does that mean now? Do I ride on the sidewalk? Do I ride on the street? Do I follow lines, signs? Do I signal with my hands? You know, all this stuff. So there's a different conversation out there, but generally you have to follow the, follow, follow all the rules. That, you know, it's an interesting question. I, I ride where I feel safe. Yeah. And so I have, there are times where I ride in the street. There are mm-hmm. times where I ride in the street. In mm-hmm. streets that I don't feel safe and mm-hmm. I'll ride, mm-hmm. depending on the time of day. And then mm-hmm. there are times when I ride on the sidewalk. Yeah, same. Um, same. And it's interesting because different cities have different rules. Like I know yeah. New York City is very, you cannot ride on the sidewalk ever. Yeah. Um, heck, I've seen kids just sit on the seat, not biking. Mm. And get tickets for wow. sitting on their seat yeah, on yeah. the bike. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, like when did you like how? In, in terms of like New Haven versus Boston, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on where you are, like MIT, mm-hmm. Harvard's campus, mm-hmm. super safe as far as I'm mm-hmm, concerned. I'm mm-hmm. like the integrated sidewalks, the bike yep. path in the middle. I've never seen anything like that anywhere else. And I'm like, oh, I would bike this particular place. Mm-hmm. But then if you're like going to the K Verde district, right? Or yep. you're going somewhere that's not yeah, the Harvard MIT bubble. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it feels so unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> Makes the T sound attractive. Yeah. No, there's a lot of pieces here. Um, I was kind of lucky enough to live in from this conversation's point of view for live in Boston. I moved there in 2005 and I left in like 2014 or 2015. And, um, and then even in the last five years, it's seven years, it's come even a whole many steps forward. But I, I, when I moved, there was not much in terms of, there was like a couple, no, you know, um, it was a little like New Haven. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I say that critically, uh, New Haven, we are lucky that we have narrow streets and old streets and that our traffic car, tra- it's small enough of a city, so our car traffic is not like um, too aggressive, with the exception of a few court, like wider corridors, like Whaley or the Boulevard or you know State Street. Sometimes that people will just start ripping um, that feel very unsafe, and I go on the sidewalk in those cases um, because my life is more important than like you know following a rule that is makes no sense in this context. Um, but Boston is cool because they there was not much enforcement. Um, of like bicycle uh bicycles following the rule bicyclists following the rules um up until they really built the infrastructure remember right and that happened in that decade that i was kind of living there it started very minimal kind of a couple like rundown bike lanes you know where they could fit easily and just be painted in to like actual physical infrastructure like you're describing all through somerville cambridge and boston where like streets were totally changed to build like a multimodal infrastructure, bus lanes that are dedicated, you know, car lanes that are shrunk and, and narrower so that folks just drive a little slower. Um, 
bike bike lanes that are separated entirely um or integrated in all kinds of ways and and sidewalks for for folks walking and um i remember kind of my last year there i remember being in somerville commuting to the south end every day which is like a 40 40 minute ride and uh some new bike lanes had gone in and i remember for the first time ever seeing like a bicycle cop enforcing uh pedestrian walk signs at an intersection and i was like oh man (laughs) end times are here um but it was i think the city finally decided like you know what like we built so much infrastructure for you as a as a um as bike commuters or whatever um like you got to start following the rules now um and you know there's a whole conversation there that i you know feel a bunch of ways about you know i think uh, I don't. I still think enforcement of car traffic is like where we need to be focusing if we're thinking about any of this stuff because the they're thing. killing people. <laughs> yeah, um, not like bikes, but I think that. Uh, yeah, I think that um, you can't even begin to like start yelling at people for not following the rules until you have a lot of infrastructure. I think that's the first step. And so for New Haven or for this region, uh, we just don't have like the infrastructure that we're talking about for us to be able to ride and feel safe and like have proper infrastructure the whole time. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm all for, you know, being safe, but, um, making sure that you're safe first. Not I. We are vulnerable users. So I laugh at the one wheel cause half of the people are like, you should be on the sidewalk. The other half <laughs> yeah. of the people are like, you should be in the road. <laughs> right, right, I'm like, right. listen, yeah. I'm all terrain. I'm just, and you're just trying to survive, you know? You're just trying to not be hit by a car, like all of us. So how, like, how did the bike co-op start? Like, what, you know, what mm-hmm. came to your mind? How did this come to fruition? How did you go, you know what? Mm-hmm. New Haven, biking, mm-hmm. we need a space. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. There was a spot in... Uh, <laughs> Uh yeah, next question. <laughs> no, there's a spot in uh there's a spot in Boston called Broadway Bicycle School. It's a worker owned um small bike shop and they had this thing where they had kind of three options. It was a really small space. Um so they couldn't do a lot and they had no risk they weren't like a bike co op. They were a workers owned bike shop. But they had three things you could do. You could sign it, come in, drop your bike off, pick it up down the road, and fix it up. They'd fix it for you. Normal bike shop stuff. Or you could do one of two other things, which is you could come in, sign in on the little sheet with your with the time and your name, and then uh, just use all the tools. They had a couple work stands, and you just sign out, and it was like two bucks every five minutes. Or you know, it was like if you had a quick couple jobs to do, and you kind of knew how to do it, it cost you a few dollars, and you're in and out, and you're you're great. You know, you did the things you needed to do. And then the third option is you could go in, and you're like, I don't know how to do this. You could sign in. You know, I think you may sometimes had to make an appointment if it's busy, but sign in, um, get paired up with a mechanic, and then they would teach you how to do the things. And that would cost like twice as much as doing it yourself, but it was still like really cheap, you know, maybe 20 or 30 bucks to like spend a half an hour with someone and, and work on your derailleur or something. Um, and I moved to New Haven and we didn't have that. And I was like, oh, like I want somewhere just to be able to like walk in and use a tool and walk out. And that didn't exist. And so I was like, I should do that. Um, and I was able to do that because I had moved to New Haven because 
my family's building. My dad was a retired electrician and then a farmer and grandfather was an electrician and great grandfather was an electrician. Um, first base. It's electric. Um, yeah, they first base above, um, it was above Cedarhurst Cafe, I guess, second floor above in that building, which is kind of cool. I don't know how you run a shop out of a second floor, but whatever. Uh, and then they, they, they built a building that the co-op's in, in, um, the sixties when it was cut up by the highways. Mm. And so my dad, I retired, he had a bunch of health problems. I was living at home, helping him for a little bit and then back in Boston and whatever. Um, and I finally moved back to try to take care of this building that was like, it had flooded, it was hemorrhaging money. Um, it was, yeah, like falling apart. Um, and had all of like 50 years, 70 years of electrical stuff in it. <laughs> and so it was like a, yeah, I mean, you remember the <laughs> earlier days of the co-op, it was still even like partially like the 50%. Shell wall. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's taken all of our seven years to slowly kind of, um, actualize the co-op space. But anyways, I had the space. And I was not, there was no bike shop or anything, but I had a little corner and I cleared it out and I was like, Hey, I got some tools. I'll spend an extra couple hundred bucks and buy some more tools, put them on a little tool wall and people could come in and like, just borrow the tools and put some money in a cash bucket. Um, like whatever you want. And while I'm just doing other stuff, cause I was renovating and doing drywall and all kinds of work in the space, going to the scrapyard all the time. And I did that, and then I just very quickly met some other folks. Paul Hammer, mm-hmm. um, and Joel Power, yep, and Joel Chance were running this little program over at Iris, where they were getting bikes donated to them. They were fixing them up. They were donating half out back to Iris, and then they were selling a couple to pay for all the parts and for Joel's time and stuff. And they were like, "Yo, you should help with this." And I was like, "Oh, cool." And then I helped them for a year, and then they were like, "Long story short, they were like, do you, do you just want to do this?'" I was like, okay. So we kind of rolled it into this like tool sharing thing. And then that's where we are. I mean, after huge amounts of evolution and change, those are still our three core programs, which is giving people space to work on their own bikes, using tools with help with volunteers, um, getting bikes donated to us, fixing them up and donating half and selling the other half. The bikes we sell or how we pay all the, all our bills and pay staff and all that stuff. Um, and they're still affordable. Um, cheaper than a new bike always, um, a little more than like a Craigslist random bike usually, but you know, you get like a warranty and you get to buy it from a real person and you know, it's been looked through and you have someone to go to when it, you know, has a problem down the road or, you know, whatever. And, and you you're know supporting. fits you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're supporting, you know, getting bikes donated. And so we donate half our bikes out to, um, other nonprofits in New Haven. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's like upwards of 250, 300 bikes a year donated wow. and another 250 or 300 sold. Um, and then, yeah. And then over a thousand fixed every year, uh, by, by, by you, by people, by, I, so this wasn't like, I will bring bikes to like, there, there was, was never... so organic. It started with a <laughs> tiny idea that was not meant to be a business or like my life's work. I was, you know, I'm an architect by training and formerly an architect, uh, not licensed, but like, uh, practice, I practiced and, uh, was intending to like go back to grad school and then like get back into the profession. Um, I was like going to take a year off, help my dad get this building ready and then like just get back to work. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of cool and like kind of fun. And I still wasn't done with the, with the building at all. Um, and so it just grew really slowly and organically, um, because of a lot of other people, like, you know, other people, 
shaping it. Um, certainly like doing bike month for those years, mm-hmm. the big catalyst to like opening it to the city and allowing the city to shape it in all kinds of ways. Um, meeting more people. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a result, like made me fall in love with new Haven and, um, want to continue to build this thing that people clearly seem to appreciate but it was never there was never a master plan there was never a it was just like i have this one small tiny little good ideal that's not profitable and then like we just kept sticking stuff to it and it kept growing and then the stuff we stuck to it kind of was nice and we'd pull a few things off if we didn't like it but um you know generally it just kept growing and i kept pushing it um and yeah it didn't pay me much of a salary Still, I mean, the last year was maybe the first time that yeah. I feel like I had like a fair wage. So it's structurally person. sound now. <laughs> structurally sound, yeah, uh, and doing well, doing really well. Cool. I, I, um, it's funny. I ninety percent of our conversations are me making puns. So I'm like, <laughs> I know. I'm finding out so, so much. I didn't know. <laughs> well, I'm also like ninety percent of. <laughs> My time in the shop is me running around trying to do like 14 things while you're, you know, um, hanging out and helping and watching and chatting. I, um, I, I guess one thing I've always wondered is like how, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, I saw you up in Hartford. Um, for, for those of y'all who are just joining us, you are listening to just in time conversations, uh, uh, 103.5 FM WNNH. Um, uh, our guest, John Martin of the uh, Bradley Street Bike Co-op. Um, I, I, I guess one of the questions I've always had is like, how and when, right, did you go from bike shop to traffic advocacy, right? Because mm-hmm. um, right and Devil's Gear, right, love yep. them. They do their things, right? Yeah. Um, there's plenty of bike shops that mm-hmm. do bike shop stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not, you know, you're in this different space of kind of bike shop, kind mm-hmm. of not. Mm-hmm. So, like, when did you go, like, hey, I want to really be an advocacy? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think it was always just, like, the the root goal, the, like, the core um, mission of the thing I was building with a lot of other people, which is that we first and foremost wanted to make change more than we wanted to make money. Um, those are both change. No, <laughs> yeah, there's a pun. Um, and that's no shade against folks who are just trying to make money. Um, and like devil's gear is dope. But that's not a, I mean, they're like awesome and they show up and they do so much work, um, in the community too. Um, but it's true. Like that, you know, they're a small business running a thing and we are a nonprofit small business conglomeration that does a weird collection of projects and, um, things like that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, um, I don't know if I have a succinct, clear answer for you, but I think that, uh, it probably stems from, that's a beautiful question too, by the way, um, stems from, just like the mission or the goal, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, the point of the co-op is to like build a more equitable New Haven, you know, by getting people on bikes. And um, yeah, you can, you have to do that in like a thousand different ways. 
Memorial will only have a finite amount of resources, so we're going to focus on getting bikes out there to people. Um, but it, you know, like we know that that's one piece of the picture, and one another piece of the picture is like fighting for like infrastructure change and work like that. Um, you know, I think. I mean, I think also I give a lot of credit to the folks who invited me to various tables. You know, um, to to join in the conversation. You know, I didn't necessarily like throw myself out there and like fight to be on the, in the table. I was just invited. Um, and that's like the beauty of new Haven is that it's a size and it has a scale and has a kind of love and appreciation by folks that, you know, you, you show up to three meetings as a, just like a, someone who's interested in whatever it is. And suddenly you're like on a commission and you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) how did that happen? And it's just cause you know, like there's not like a line of 50 people in front of you waiting to, do this thing, you know, but we're big enough to like have the thing. Like we have the, it's not like a thousand two two thousand person town that has like four people and that's it. You know, we have a big city, but we need people to participate. We're right on that edge of like, you know, having all this stuff, but always wanting more people, um, which I love about this city. And so all it took is for me to just start showing up to some stuff. Um, certainly give a lot of credit to bike month. You know, Caroline, um, like all the organizers of that world to like for that side of the co-op, um, for the kind of advocacy side um, and kind of shaping, um, shaping that. And then I think other people really took that mantle. Kai, who, you know, really well um, and a lot of us know and, and has a core piece of the bike co-op, really got excited about that, along with environmental movement stuff, Sunrise movement. Um and Kai, as I was, the co-op was growing, growing, growing. And at some point, things had gotten too big for one human to, like, do everything from advocacy to running a shop to, like, paying bills to fixing bikes to doing all this stuff. And so we hired Kai, and she joined the team. And um, and she took on both, like, personally um, and, like, a little bit understaffed, like, a lot of the advocacy-related stuff. And it grew, and it was chaotic and kind of messy, but we figured it out together and... Um, and so a lot of that has been lifted off my shoulders and put on to volunteers and to, to folks who, yeah, and to built into programs to do advocacy, like at the bike co-op. Um, and, you know, pandemic also had to like have us all rethink what, what, what's going on, where, where do our resources go? Um, some things just taking a pause, um, other things moving direction. Um, and yeah, we're getting back into some of it now more and more, which is cool. As I think a lot of people are. I um, I had an EDD moment, and so I was saying, I remember a couple of years ago, um, um, it was fun to like run into y'all at the transportation summit, and mm. I was just like, I know those people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Always a good time. Um, so like I, wearing many headphones, um, <laughs> I. You know, for one of the big conversations, right? Um, and I'm sure Roland's going to give me a look and like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the conversation around red light cameras, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so for those of y'all who aren't familiar, there's a big conversation of like, do we get red light cameras to do traffic enforcement? And I, I think rightfully so, ECLU right? People of color, marginalized people, right? There's a question of like, cool, how do you implement 
these cameras in a class racial conscious way and then like will ticketing change the behavior that we're seeking to see to make streets safer right Mm -hmm. and i go back and forth in my head Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um although i think ironically i'm a very private person despite being a public person Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's because you're a good question asker (laughs) all good question askers are kind of private people you know so people might be surprised right i'm more of like mm, i don't know about this right yeah but i also see the utility um mm-hmm. and we've had a great deal of traffic fatalities in new haven in the region and so how do you grapple with these conversations right because yeah. and i'll add this last caveat mm-hmm. i feel sometimes people try to frame this as either you're for or against Mm -hmm. and i i don't there are some people who definitely do but i don't feel the main proprietors are like we want a tricky complicated institutional thing to like screw report people i'm like no yeah right so like how how do you grapple with this yeah i mean grapple is probably the right word right like i'm a white man with privilege who has not a lot of car driving experience um, and just doesn't have built my life because of the bits of privilege I have to like not need to drive to my work. I always try to live near it um, and I make my own sacrifices, but they're, they pale in comparison to anyone else's. And, um, um, and so, yeah, that that's an important caveat for me is just like, I, I know that I'm not going to be able to like, I'm going to be deferring to many other people's points of view on this subject um, so yeah, I think my opinion, it's not that it matters more or less. It's just like less, uh, it's like less at the heart of this thing. Um, you know, I want to see people drive like less intensely. I loved the 20th plenty campaign, uh, in 2020, which is like, just go 20 miles an hour, calm the heck down. Um, and I think of it all the time when I drive. Um, but yeah, I think 20 is fast. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, I want, I want, I want cars to slow down. Uh, and I think there's like a thousand ways you can do that. Red light cameras may be just one of so many, and we, you know, we can talk about all the other ones. I think that one argument I did hear that I'd love like your take on, uh, which was like kind of recently, um, thinking about traffic enforcement and police officers and people of color, uh, in that relationship. And, an argument um, that I heard that I was like, oh, I haven't thought of it that way. And that's kind of cool. But again, like, I'm like, well, okay, like, that's what I think. But I don't really know. You know, I've never had these experiences myself, um, being both not a driver and not a person of color. Um, is that um, like red light cameras, a pro of them is that they reduce the human to human interaction between police officers and people of color. Um, because no lot, which is where a lot of bigger problems arise. Um, both like from fatalities of police shooting people, um, but also like, you know, uh, drug related stuff that's like fabricated or whatever, you know, all yeah. the paranoia. horror stories we hear. Yeah. Oh, you have a bong on you. Talking or, back or yeah. being annoyed or being scared, stuff that like, you know, we all, I mean, as someone who like has very little patience. Why are you biking for, so fast? Right. There was a crime scene around. It's like, oh, because... 
point A to B? I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what's going on, you know. And so, like, I'm interested in reducing just, like, police's, their relationship to um, us, um, but certainly to, like, people of color um, and, like, reducing the amount of, like, physical human-to-human interaction. Mm. And I wonder, because that seems to be where things arise problematically, um, and I wonder, like, if red light cameras could perhaps, like, support that. If we don't have cops, like, trying to ticket people for running red lights, we just have a camera and the ta- the, the the fine is small enough where it's not, like, killing people, yeah. but big enough where it's annoying. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Maybe 25 bucks or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, making that up. I don't know. Um, I, th- I was like, oh, that's an interest. I hadn't thought of that. I uh, think. Curious about your, I don't know. I, so curious I. Curious about your take I, on that. People may know, right? I'm a police abolitionist, right? Yeah. I institutionally do not believe in, yeah. right, policing as an institution. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes people are like, well, crime and things. I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. We can figure those things out. Mm-hmm. I think my natural distrust goes to who will own this data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if it is policing institutions yeah. and agencies, right? Yeah. Like, Love that. The other day, citations needed. Um, mm-hmm. Shout to them, dope podcast. Mm-hmm. They did a episode on like, um, you know, subway jumping, right? Mm-hmm. And like, oh no, this is a big crime, right? And like, the data was provided by police departments to be mm-hmm. like, oh, poor people didn't pay for transportation, even though everywhere, whether it's Kansas City that has made transportation free. New Connecticut that has mm-hmm. had transportation free and hopefully will extend past mm-hmm, December. Mm-hmm. New York City, it is more expensive mm-hmm. to have police police on these issues mm-hmm. than to just let people mm-hmm. have yeah. free fare. And so yeah. I worry about who has access yeah. to the data mm-hmm. more than Love that. how, right? I don't necessarily distrust surveillance it's more who gets to control the narrative create the narrative and that's where i think it becomes Mm -hmm. hard because i don't think the traffic authority wants to do that yeah oh but uh, yeah also as like a police abolitionist who's like just always very interested in like what does it mean um and like what are the pieces of that like i got really excited about blanking on the name even though i testified for it um the like uh so just like social workers yes. um thank you yeah um like I, I, for me it's like okay we're gonna get rid of the police um what are the buckets that are still necessary and how yeah. can we reframe them entirely to be like healthy systems and so yeah maybe the traffic authority should hold that you know like we do need traffic enforcement of some kind i don't know what it looks like but you know it's like we're gonna have to walk, work on that and like ideally it's like a lot of physical infrastructure and traffic calming stuff, um, reducing like all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, like where can that be hold? And for me, I get excited from the abolitionist point of view of just like, okay, get it out of the police and put it somewhere else. What does that look like? How do we design it? Like, how do we break the things that the police do and into buckets and like toss some buckets away? Cause we just don't need them at all. And then like, you know, find new places for some of the other buckets. Well, we, we're definitely going to have to 
do like an online episode or something because there's so many more things that I want to unpack uh, with you. Same. So, same. I'm definitely going to need you to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm in. Two things, right? Where can people find you? Where can people mm-hmm. connect with you? Mm-hmm. And then what's a song, right? What's the favorite song? Oh, yeah. What's something we can connect to you about? Um, all right. One, uh, Bradley Street Bicycle Co op. We're on 138 Bradley Street, uh, kind of on the edge of downtown New Haven. Um, right near a brand new mural that we helped make and a new park going in this weekend, uh, right next door. Um, and what time is that? Uh, this weekend it's like eight to five. Eight to Come five. build stone walls with us, um, <laughs> and pick up rocks. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Urban resources initiatives helping. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Emerge was helping before. Um, you can donate bikes. We always need them. They're amazing. So always bring your bikes down anytime we're open. All the info is on our website. Hey. And the one thing I would say is get on the newsletter. We send it once a month. It's really chill and fun and photos. All the information's in there. It's like not spammy. Um, and you can also sign up just right on our homepage on our website. Just Google Bradley Street Busco Co-op. And the song, we in the shop have a, uh, we often get brand new volunteers to put on their playlists. Uh, for the shop for the day, which is always kind of catches folks off guard, but very fun. So initially answer is like, whatever you want to play. Cause that's what we do in the shop literally. Uh, but I got to go with maybe like a favorite. I'm a like indie punk rock fan and uh, the local scene here, the underground scene here is amazing. And one of the bands uh, is made up of some of the organizers of that scene. And that band is called spit take. And so really any song by spit take uh, would be the song I'd recommend. John Martin spitting. <laughs> um, thank you so much for connecting uh, with us today on Just in Time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, WNHH uh, 103.5 FM. Um, thank you, John, for, for coming down. Uh, until next time, I'm Justin Farmer. Hope to plant the seeds of change with y'all so we can grow together.